0: Welcome to the Outdoor Mentor Podcast, where the star of the show is the Mentee. I'm your host, Colonel Retired Mike Abel, and every show I will be interviewing someone I took on a hunting, fishing, or outdoor adventure. It might be someone new, or it might be someone experienced who wants to try something new, which is the case this time. Uh, The little bit background on this is I uh, wanted to go caribou hunting uh, in a drop camp remote type hunt for quite a while and uh, I couldn't find anybody to go with me. And then uh, a buddy of mine who is now a damn good friend, uh, Sergeant Major Retired uh, retired Shell Nevels, uh, moved to Louisville and started working at my favorite archery shop and we became friends. And I said, man, I've been, you know, in one of the conversations, man, I've been wanting to go on this like remote drop camp caribou hunt I just can't find anybody to go with me. And of course, Shell said, well we can fix that <laughs> next thing you know <laughs> shell's going with me so uh so the guest uh on the show today is uh my friend uh sergeant major retired uh, shell nevels and uh shell go ahead and introduce yourself man
1: hey good afternoon everyone i am shell nevels um uh, as mike said met at, at an archery shop and became friends from there um uh, moved to louisville uh, shortly after i retired out of the united states army um Wife works for ford, so uh, this is where she she was stationed so uh packed everything up and and moved here but uh glad to be on here today so how long you been hunting bro <coughs> um you don't know, grew up in a small town um in Missouri, right along the missouri river uh so uh grew up hunting upland birds you know father was a big quail hunter grandfather was a uh huge duck hunter um really didn't get into hunting big game deer until um, the mid 80s showing my age here uh the <laughs> mid 80s uh, you know started hunting with my my uncle who uh
0: has I'd some amazing <laughs> stories <laughs> i told you several stories <laughs> about why we great were in stories. Uh, uh
1: in alaska but um started hunting whitetail and killed my first whitetail in in 1984 um and been hunting since and you you
0: done um You've done a couple of Western hunts, too. I know at least one mule deer hunt, right? After, I have. After I have. one of your deployments? Um a
1: buddy of mine, uh, by the name of Troy Sambody, uh who's also in the Army, um, when we were in Afghanistan, uh, it, it was something that um, a lot of people there, a lot of friends there had talked about wanting to do once we got home. Um but like you know, like so many the the cost of of going out of state to hunt, you know, a lot of people shy away from that. Um, and Troy, out of about five people, was the only one that actually decided, you know, that that's stuck with it, and, and uh, we did. We went to went to Wyoming and hunted with 7J um, Outfitter out of Sundance, and had a wonderful time doing it. Um, and of course, been on s- several other out-of-state hunts, um, uh, primarily uh, pig hunts. But, uh, yes, yes, have, have gone west on a couple occasions hunting.
0: Well, okay, then. This is your first Alaska hunt. Well, that's where kind of the it is the, it outdoor, is. Men- the outdoor mentor side of the house comes in. Um, you know, <coughs> stepping up to an Alaska hunt, if it was fully outfitted, is not a big deal. Um, but what we were going to do was um, completely remote, uh, dropped into the Inoko, uh National Wildlife Refuge in um, far uh, western Alaska and uh, went with, you know. Uh, very reliable air service and uh, Master Hunter uh, to help us get our tags and everything. Got all that set up. But the idea was we would be dropped in for a week long hunt, just the two of us, uh, no parachute. You know, survive on your own and, uh, unless something goes terribly wrong and you got to call the Coast Guard. And that was kind of the. That was kind of the first time you've taken this much of an adventure, if I'm not mistaken. It right? is. Yes, it is. Yeah.
1: Uh, anything that you know actually had to sit down and and start planning uh, myself you know of course with with your assistance um, you know it's very unlike uh, doing a hunt with an outfitter that you know really you just show up with with a gun and and go <laughs> hunting
0: yeah right. Yeah. That's, this is not that. <laughs> yeah. So we had a lot of planning to do and, um, and we were doing fine. Everything was going well. And then talk to me about forest fires. Well, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I don't even know what it, it was. It was late evening. I had received a call from you, um, telling me that that uh, the hunt was in jeopardy because of, of fires in Alaska um, Peggy the owner of of the um yeah the wife of the outfitting service wi- wife wife yeah. of the the owner of the outfitting service had called you and said <coughs> hey you know uh, Alaska's ablaze uh, uh you know if you don't have insurance for your hunt you may you may want to look into getting insurance we don't know if we're going to be able to to fly you in because the state of Alaska is on fire uh-uh.
0: yeah so so, <laughs> so you got insurance <laughs> they sent us a bunch of uh really interesting data from the Alaska uh wildlands fire website it was really cool we could literally track with latitude and longitude um where our camp the vicinity of our camp but we could also track with lat long the fires and you would look at these fires on the website and it would be this amorphous weird shaped blob <laughs> because it was where everything was you know there's these big gray blobs on the alaska mat where shit was burning and, and you know you call me like hey partner I got some insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm scratching my head, man. I'm like, what are we going to do? And uh, I called Peggy and, and said, hey, can we, can we switch uh, to 2019? And she said, no, we're all booked up in 19. I said, can we, how about 2020? She said, well, we don't book that far out. She said, this is just what happens in Alaska. So you and I are like, son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, we're just waiting on God to change his mind and you know stop the fires with some rain or something
1: yes and and i don't know it was was about a week and a half two weeks later you had called and said hey um following i I had talked to uh alaska fish and, and wildlife um rain had started to set in of course in the area that we were planning to hunt um And I had made a call to uh, the transit service that was going to take us from. Oh yeah, Alaska Air uh, Transit. Alaska Air Transit that that was going to fly us from Anchorage to to McGrath. Um, It's like, hey, what's the deal? You know, we're being told that you know the entire state is is on fire and, and no one's flying and uh, talked to several people there um, made several calls uh, uh, talked to several different people and everyone assured me that uh, we are flying uh, you know there are fires but it, it, it is not it is not that bad so yeah so that I, I call that eased you know, sure that eased my mind quite a bit
0: yeah and and with you calling the people you called i decided to call other folks so we were both getting all the intel we could and uh i called jenny the lady that runs the only hotel in mcgrath (laughs) and i was like what's the deal and she's like i think you're gonna be fine then i called my another buddy of mine who's a master guide in alaska i said what do you think he's like man just suck it up and come (laughs) you'll be fine so so uh we continued to plan and uh get our gear together and uh I think one of the biggest things for adventure hunts like this, and uh, this is my, was my fourth big Alaska hunt, and I'd taken someone else on their first one last time. And the, the, the thing that settled that guy down the most, um, and he's a dear friend too, but the thing that seemed to put his mind at ease the most was when we laid out all the gear and went over all the gear. What did you think of that? We we hauled it all over to your house and we basically spread <laughs> out across <laughs> your entire basement. You know, it...
1: it um, and we brought a scale? It, uh, for someone that, that uh, <laughs> uh, you know, hasn't done a, a layout or, you know, in the military, we call them PCCs, PCIs, pre-combat uh, checks, pre-combat inspections. Um, to me, you know, it's just second nature. Uh, anytime and as you know and those who listen that are in the military know anytime you know before you uh, move out whether it's on a training exercise uh, uh, deploying to another country whatever for war uh, you lay your equipment out two three times uh, to make sure everything that you have everything that that you need to get um, there and back uh, and so we had so to we had to weigh it and to get through commercial
0: air travel so the did. first uh, the first set of pre combat checks and pre combat inspections was to get ourselves down to a carry on and two fifty pound
1: bags right and i you know for people who have not had to fly uh, to Alaska, or people who have not flown to Alaska to do a hunt. I, I don't think they uh, uh, will realize how quick you hit those fifty-pound <laughs> marks. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, you start uh, taking uh, all of your padding out <laughs> of your rifle case and you putting do. your clothing in there
0: to pad your gun.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and. Uh, when you're walking around in the woods of Kentucky or're walking around in the woods of Missouri you know you don't really think about how much your your wife rifle weighs um, until you have to start uh, weighing everything to fly and you have to a hundred pound minimum or maximum that, that uh, uh, you have to meet yeah. so and then and then you get to
0: Anchorage <laughs> and you got to go buy your food. And go get all of the stuff that you can't fly with commercial, like your, you know, fuels and your little uh, uh, butane canisters uh, for your uh, uh, thermocell mosquito devices. (laughs) And you buy all that (laughs) stuff. Then you're in the hotel in Anchorage repacking that because you got a weight limit on the little plane from Alaska Air Transit to get you from Anchorage to McGrath. Then when you get to McGrath, you got a little tiny float plane. That flies you, you know, another hundred miles from McGrath out into the wilderness, and you got to make another weight limit. So, we, we, I think we did it three times, didn't we? We did,
1: we did. And of course, (coughs) uh, each stop, you know, we had to buy something new for um, the next leg of the journey. Uh, You know, uh, once we got to McGrath, uh, you know, it was a, hundred pounds of of gear per person. That includes includes rifle ammo, clothing, tent. food, tent, bourbon, uh, <laughs> bourbon, <laughs> and you know. And what uh, people have to keep in mind is you know you also have to pack a bunch of salt. Uh, yeah. To, there you go. To uh, salt the hides um, if you were to kill something. Um, so. You know, between two people, you know, you you figure the size of a caribou or a black bear. You know, hell, you may have to pack what fifteen pounds of salt. Yeah, uh, to 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 salt everything down, and, and of course. They allowed you 102 pounds, you know, and it gave you two extra pounds of salt. And then, <laughs> you know, of course, made it sound like they were doing us a favor right? by, yep. by letting you go over yeah. uh, two pounds.
0: Which is hilarious because <laughs> we watched other guys, and I, this is the fourth time I've done this. We've watched other guys, and it always makes me crazy because I'm not a big guy. I'm not a tiny guy, but, you know, I'm 5'8", 180, and I'm watching, you know, the guys that also weighed in to go on a different flight to a different location, ain't a ain't a one of those boys was under two forty. <laughs> and they're also getting a hundred pounds of gear. Right. And then they let me have two extra pounds of salt and I'm thinking, Well, thanks very much. <laughs> you know, that guy weighs sixty pounds more than me and he's still getting a hundred pounds of gear. Smaller
1: plane. Yeah. Son of a <laughs> bitch.
0: Yeah, so that that kinda upset me. But that that for anybody that's wanting to do this, <clears throat> you know, um that process where you, you pack to do commercial air then you pack to go from anchorage to a float plane then you pack to get on the float plane to your camp and back is it's a science there's a science to it and uh, so the other thing we did is we did a really good uh, range day uh, we um, asked a really good friend of mine another retired army vet who has access to a 500 yard long Uh, range, uh, NRA quality range, and we went out there and uh, basically confirmed zero with our rifles and the bullets we were going to hunt with, and that was a good day.
1: It was, um, and for those who, you know, hunt the Midwest, you know, uh, and and whitetail, you know, primarily hunting whitetail in the Midwest, you know, very seldom are are you gonna have a shot over a hundred yards, um, you know. If you scout everything out right, you know, heck, you could probably probably wouldn't have to shoot over fifty yards. Um, and, and it's it's amazing how many times I've I've been to the range uh, and watched people shoot, you know, and, and as long as they're hitting you know, a pie plate at, at 100 yards, they're happy, you know, with their, with their grouping. Um, I'm very anal when it comes to shooting, <laughs> man, you know. If, if you're serious, man. you're. I, <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought I was serious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're one of the only people I've ever met that I can talk to about you know, most people understand what a moment of angle is. You and I can talk about milliradians, <laughs> And when you start talking <laughs> about
1: milliradians with somebody, you know they really uh, know what they're
0: talking about, you know. You know,
1: it, 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 and I'm a big reloader, and, and, and I sit there all day. And if I go take a rifle to a range, and, and I don't even know that it, a quarter-sized group anymore is – is satisfying for me you know i I want to be able to shoot a group and and um cover it with a nickel you know it three-quarter inch group at a 100 uh is is what i'm shooting for every time i go to range but that said um yeah uh, but you know here's the thing most people don't understand that that three-quarter inch group at a 100
0: right is three and a half to three and three quarter inches at 500 if you could maintain that three quarters of an inch per hundred yards so generally speaking a moment of angle is an inch per hundred so if you get an inch group at 100 it's two inches at two three inches at three four inches at four we had about we didn't have a full value wind we didn't have a full value full value wind for listeners 10 miles an hour perfect perfectly perpendicular to your line of sight we probably had close to a full-value wind. Yes. We were keeping eight-inch eight groups at 500 yards. Both of us at that point said,
1: we're good. <laughs> it was, it <laughs> was. Uh, you know, and uh, I have a lot of friends, you know. And, and, uh, There's always, we're very competitive when, of course, most of them are in the Army, so it, it, we're very competitive when it comes shooting. Uh, and, and trying to explain that, you know, to me, if you can shoot 100 yards, you can shoot 200 yards with no problem. It's once you get beyond that that 200 yard range, and you start hitting the 300, 400, um, where there's so many things.
0: Uh, well, it's because it's
1: the bullet's slowing down, right? Bullet slowing, the the trajectory's starting to drop. Uh, Wind, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many factors in shooting at 300, 400, 500 yards, and um, if, if you haven't ever shot on a 500-yard range, if all you're doing is shooting 100 yards uh, and you've never shot 500 yards, um, you're, you're really not going to be able to shoot.
0: Yeah, you can't fake the funk on that. You, you can't, can't fake it. Um, that bullet's going where it's going, and you got to know what you're doing. When you're holding into the wind and you're holding for the drop and everything, and, and uh, but you know how that related is, and we'll talk about this more later. Our first spot, and I'll t- we'll talk about what we named each spot in Alaska, because we had s- names for these spots. But our first spot was was 700 yards across that draw. It was. And it was. We were talking about the fact that we weren't going to shoot more than 500, and we had rangefinders, but we were we were literally picking out the spot we had to crawl to. <laughs> if they were on the far side of that draw to make it inside 500, because
1: that's what it we is. practiced, right? Uh. <laughs> and again, um, for those who, who've never gone outside the Midwest and, and you go out West or you, you, go up into Alaska, um, it is such vast open country. Um, and it, it's really hard to, if you don't have a rangefinder. um, uh, to estimate the it's yardage, a, oh my god it's almost it, it's, yeah. it's it's almost impossible yep to I agree to, to estimate that so um you have to be able to you know you have to be able to shoot uh at, at greater distances so yes thanks thanks to larry uh it was an eye opener for me because you know i i have never really sat down and and shot at those distances Well, before. We we
0: spent some serious time doing it. It was a good day, and, and Larry is, is a champion in my mind for a lot of reasons. That was a really good day. Talk about what what rifle you picked, because you brought, you brought multiple rifles.
1: I did. Uh, and To the range that day, again, you brought multiple again, rifles. Again, you know, I, I said, you know, I, I reload, and I love to reload and love to shoot. So I have, I don't know, I have like <coughs> 15 rifles. So to me, it was... It was What rifle, uh, I want to to take. Uh, so obviously, I'm gonna take the one that you know I'm most comfortable with and and I shoot the best with. So that day at the range, I took
0: uh, well, I'm not blowing sunshine up your ass. I'm not blowing sunshine up your ass when I say this. You're a good shot, thank Thank you. There's no (laughs) doubt you're a (laughs) good shot, but you were trying to figure out which one of those rifles. And you'd picked a bullet that you were con- you are confident would kill a caribou easily. So you had three different rifles and <laughs> a bullet that each rifle liked, and you were trying to decide which one of those you were going to take. <laughs> on, on that so day, talk talk about know. which one <laughs> talk about which
1: one you chose. Uh, and I ended up taking my three hundred Remington short action Ultra Mag, uh, and and I. Picked that rifle simply because I, I had shot it the most. The other two rifles I had with me that day was a 264 Winchester Magnum and a 257 Weatherby Magnum. Uh, relatively new rifles that I, I did not have not spent a lot of time uh, on the range with. Um, my 300 Short Mag I had shot a lot. I was comfortable with it. Uh, I knew where the rifle. Was shooting, and, you know, uh, I knew how it shot, uh, and I had taken it out west with me on a mule deer hunt, and actually took my mule deer at uh, 367 yards, um, which isn't isn't a a long distance. Uh, but it was the first time, you know, I'd shot at a a, a big game animal at that distance, so. I, I knew how it shot, um, and I was comfortable shooting it. Uh, and I had put, a, again, a lot of range time with that rifle. Um,
0: so what was the liability on that rifle? What did the liability end up being with that rifle? The thing weighed 150 pounds, did it? It did. <laughs>
1: uh <laughs> What I had learned, of course, humping up and down. uh, Climbing those mountains. Climbing those mountains. Um, Then it weighed in just just a few ounces over 10 pounds. So the first day, you know, it wasn't bad. Uh, Third, fourth, fifth day. (laughs) um, 10 pounds becomes 100 pounds. Uh, Pretty quick. You know, when you start putting a lot of miles and you consider the rest of the gear that you're, you're packing. Uh, so, I would recommend to anyone who is going to do a pack hunt, um, go with the largest caliber that, that you can, uh, recoil. Of course, being a, a factor mm-hmm. in, in ultralight rifles, but... um a pound is a big difference after third or fourth day. Yes, yeah. Of,
0: I've talked to outfitter buddies of mine, and they say literally they talk about the fact that you're going to get three days out of a client. Most clients east of the Mississippi, when they start climbing, you know, Rocky Mountains and or Alaska Mountains, by the fourth morning, they're you got to take a day off. They're pretty well worn, pretty you know, they're done. And uh, I'm not going to give away the whole podcast, but you carried that rifle up and down the mountain for three times that three days at least. So I did. <laughs> um, so after all those PCCs and PCIs, was there any piece of gear that you bought, any particular piece, one or two, that in your prep that you were happy that you got and that you would
1: recommend? Uh, as with everything, you know, you have to plan for the worst and, and you know, of course, hope for the best. Um Rain gear. Uh you know, I, I would recommend that people not scamp on rain gear. Concur. Um you know, if if it if it doesn't say Gore Tex, uh, I probably wouldn't uh recommend it. Um, it's not that, that it's not that you're going to to stay dry you know it, it rained on us for
0: over half, half the trip at least over ten half days, the trip yeah you know
1: you're going to get wet no no matter what you have on you're going to get wet um, but uh, do not skimp on 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 the rain gear it yeah
0: so you'd never been to a little town like McGrath where I have not <laughs> where the only thing paved in the entire town was the runway <laughs> would you You said to me on the plane you said there's no way we get my wife on this plane <laughs> would you would you think about would you think about the little
1: plane in the town of mcgrath uh it, again you know it's it, uh being in the military and and being on small planes and and helicopters uh you know and flying into remote areas uh, really, in anything new, um, but you know, when you get on the plane and, and you extend your your arms out and you're touching inside of it, uh, <laughs> that's right. It's it's you know, it's a little different. It, it's it's very small. Uh, but the grocery store in McGrath sells, <laughs> sells reindeer meat. <laughs> there's not too many places I bet you've been
0: to sell reindeer meat. <laughs> they do not. No, uh, it's a neat little town, man. They had the, Iditarod dog sled race goes through there. And, uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm actually pretty fond of, uh, of the town and, uh, the people and especially Jenny who runs the, the little hotel, uh, and, you su- know, super cool lady. Yes.
1: And everyone we met there was e- extremely nice. Um, um, The mayor, I want to say Mayor Fred. Yep, Mayor Fred, I think Um, is this right? uh, He is from the (coughs) Midwest. uh, You know, so he and I hit it off. We knew about a a lot of the same places in Kansas City. Uh, You know, he talked about driving through Kansas City and, of course, uh, uh, visiting... Kauffman Stadium for the Kansas City Royals and Arrowhead Stadium for the Chiefs and the hotels and restaurants and and bars around the area. So uh, we uh, we hit it off and and had a had a lot to talk about. Yeah. So and
0: he's a cool old dude, man. He was. That's my that's my second or third time. I can't remember how many times I've been to McGrath enough that I really am, I'm starting to love the little town. But uh, you know. There's a reason that the
1: walls of the hotel are, you know, two feet thick. That's <laughs> insulation.
0: It gets down to like minus forty up there in the winter. It uh, so You know, Jenny
1: of course told us that. You know, um, middle of the winter, you know, it was nothing to be, to be. Negative 40 degrees, negative 50 degrees. Yeah.
0: Um, it gets down to zero when they're outside playing soccer. <laughs> it is. <laughs> she did say that. She did. Uh, so what you, would what'd you think about the first part of the trip? You know, the, the weather was good. Our fly-in to, to Tolstoy Lake there in the Beaver Mountains and setting up camp. How would that all go? Uh,
1: you know, the day that, that we flew into um, – the area that we were going to hunt it was it was a great day you know the there was not a cloud in the sky uh, sunny warm considering um Pug, where we're at. bugs weren't bad no bugs no bugs uh, and i thought this this is going to be this is going to be a wonderful 7 days um as you'll find out that that quickly changed so we
0: did a little (laughs) recon we did a little recon and found that there was nothing but giant rocks the size of truck tires all along the lake shore and so we had to build camp and actually you found somebody else's old camp i did and then about a 150 yards further up the mountainside we found a big flat spot and there was no real bear sign of course there was a lot of bear sign around the lake but we we decided to camp about 300 yards from the lake shore up the side of the mountain on a flat spot. And uh we get up there and we're sitting up camp and you said, Holy shit And I s and I I was I, I didn't you know, of course me being an infantry guy, I grabbed my pistol thinking there's a bear <laughs> and you pointed to the top of the mountain and, and what'd you see?
1: Hey, you know, We were sitting there setting up our tents and out of the top of my eyes and I saw movement and I I was like we have movement twelve o'clock and <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you knew exactly what I meant, and you you immediately looked at the top of the mountain as you look like, uh and there was eight or nine caribou that had come over the crest of of the ridge and uh were running along uh the side of the the mountain we were on um. Mm. Uh, so we grabbed our um, binos and and started watching them, and it had one or two immature bulls in there. But um, you know, sitting there seeing that the first day, and for those who who don't know, when when you fly into your area to hunt, you're not allowed to hunt the first day. Uh, reason being. Uh, they don't want you using the aircraft to to spot animals and then and then go go shoot the animals. Um, yeah, it's kind of like kind of like road hunting. It's not fair chase. <laughs> that's uh, right, fair yeah. chase. Yes. Yeah. So, um, well,
0: we had heard we had heard so camp got set up, and we had heard there was some grayling in this lake, and so we're like, "There's nothing to do. We can't hunt."
1: So we went fishing we did uh and of course neither one of us i i don't know that you, if you've ever caught a grayling or no, I, I haven't i, I haven't <laughs> either um but of course after we got everything set up we grabbed our our poles and and packed back down to the lake and uh and it was like the first or second cast you know we started pulling grayling out of out mm. of this lake that you know 15 16 inches long it was they were big uh and uh for those who've never caught a grayling a 15 16 inch grayling is is a big grayling yeah Um,
0: it's 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 pushing uh, two
1: pounds at 15 16 uh, inches too they're little stout things we probably sat there for an hour you know like every other cast just just pulling 15 16 inch grayling out of this lake um had a great time doing it you know so seeing seeing the eight or nine caribou and and then just catching grayling right off the bat you know it's like this this is this is going to be the best trip ever best trip (laughs) you know well (laughs) worth the money that uh uh, we've invested in this hunt yeah Uh,
0: yep yep so we get back up to we get back up to camp and kind of have a normal camp evening we get up the next morning and and we decide where we're headed and we head up the mountain and the very first thing that happens to us happens to just about every hunter in Alaska the willows and the alders whipped our asses
1: <laughs> it, 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 it was the first time for me uh, of course trying to walk through uh, that type of brush and you're in grizzly country. You're in yep. black bear country, and you can't see a foot in front of you. I mean, the brush is so thick, and you're climbing, um, and you're climbing and a mountain and through and it. You're climbing, yes. You're you're climbing. I don't know, sixty, seventy degrees up this mountain mm-hmm. uh, with a pack, uh, with a rifle. Um, yeah, that, uh, and as you'll get into, you know. We, the next day, uh, uh we decided to do something a little different. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: <laughs> so um what what looked like about a thousand meters. You know, being army, we we use everything in meters. So it looked like about twelve, fourteen hundred yards. Kind of straight up the side of the mountain was the straightest way, and we eyeballed like the little openings, and we thought we could get through, and we thought, oh, we'll be on top of that mountain in thirty-five, forty minutes. Two hours later, we crest the mountain <laughs> after <laughs> we literally – I coined the term tree jitsu, like jujitsu. I call it tree jitsu because you're wrestling those trees to get through, especially with, you know, you know, long-barreled rifles like we have. You know, they get hooked up on everything. But uh we got up there and <clears throat> immediately found, uh, after we crested the ridge, we, we established patrol base caribou. So for those of you who've never heard of a patrol base, it's kind of a spot that you – set your security in the military and then you you send out local patrols from the patrol base and so we named it patrol base caribou we dropped a waypoint on it and that was our spot and we could see i mean golly up the valley to the south which i would most people wouldn't say up to the south i guess down the valley to the south we could see two thousand three thousand meters but any caribou there was a lot of sign in front of us any caribou had to come across that 700 yards in front of us through that gap. I thought patrol-based caribou was awesome.
1: It And it was. And it was, uh, as you said, as soon as we uh, crested the ridge, you know, and basically just plateaued off, and uh, patrol Base caribou was damn near center of, of this plateau. And, and uh, you know, after, after seeing the caribou, uh the day before you know i honestly thought it was like man we're going to get to the top of this ridge and there's going to be nothing but caribou and it's going to be <laughs> uh pick your animal and Tag take a shot <laughs> yeah and, uh, um, there was a lot of sign uh, uh a lot of sign a lot of trails you know caribou or uh stick to stick to trails highways you know they were beaten down and into the uh, uh tundra um uh, so deep that you know the water was actually it channeled the water through mm-hmm. uh, through there yeah and, you know they, they were what four or oh. five inches deep the the caribou trails themselves mm-hmm.
0: um beaten through the tundra and then four or five inches deep into the in the hard mud yes. and rock
1: what'd
0: you think of walk what'd you think about walking on tundra for the first time
1: <laughs> it was interesting uh, 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 the tundra is for those who don't know is is not solid ground <laughs> and, you know we were basically walking on ringer moss and, and blueberry bushes uh, the entire the entire seven eight days that, that we hunted um spongy. Um, you know, unless we were in this on the side of the mountain in the scree fields, you know, you're really just walking on, on reindeer moss and, and blueberry bushes. Yeah,
0: and it, it's you push down with your legs, and the first four inches just gives way <laughs> until you get purchase on every step. It's exhausting. So that first day, we were excited, but we didn't see anything. And the uh, weather was good. We're okay. We get back to camp. We get up the next morning. What we decide to do?
1: The uh, when, when first thing you decided to do was— uh, we walked up and down the ridge trying to find a better path. Um and when you're looking up the mountains and, and you see open patches of ground, you know, you think that you know, the ground is open, and, you know, and it looks like a field, you know, just um any old field, you know, in the Midwest or uh until you get up to it and then it's you know grass that's seven foot tall Uh, so we tried to find and what we actually found was a grizzly bear trail leading up the side of this mountain uh, that we started uh, walking up and improving you had you had a machete uh, a little saw and a little saw and you start cutting a path through the, the willow brush. Uh, yeah, not too many people
0: would improve a grizzly bear trail. <laughs> but, but we figured we're combat <laughs> vets. We're carrying pistols and rifles. And it is such an ass-whipping to climb straight through willows and alders and all that mess. And we're marking it with engineer tape as we're going up, you know, surveying tape. Right. But it took us three hours to get up, and now we
1: had an established route. It did. Uh, We we did. Uh, So every day after that, you know, it it took it probably took 45 minutes off of our climb just because we had established a a trail up up the side of the ridge. So that that was a lesson learned for us. Uh, Should we ever go back to it was twice as long. You know, that first day, you know, we we had a lot of time. The, the first day. Oh, we that's a great point. We flew in, so you know, had we had known that, you know, after we got camp established, you know, that's a great point. That, that would be a something I would I well, would recommend. Only a military guy would
0: think that efficiently. That <laughs> since you can't hunt on the first day, take the time to hike all the way up to where you're going to glass, and cut your route in, and mark your route through all that thick stuff. So that w- that would be smart. No. Yep. Um, So, (coughs) hunt that whole next day.
1: Still nothing. Still nothing. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) And caribou migratory, so we're cool. It's all right.
1: Wasn't completely dejected. Uh, Yeah. uh, But... You know, for the distances that we could see in glass, um, it was a little upsetting that... We couldn't see an animal anywhere. Right. Um,
0: but we started talking about the fact that there was wolf sign, black bear sign, and grizzly bear sign
1: everywhere. There was. Um, uh, and, of course, uh, holding on to the fact that that we saw eight or nine caribou the first day, that you know there's supposed to be a resident herd so to me resident means within the vicinity right of of where you're we should be seeing
0: them within Uh, two two miles that we can glass with uh, our optics yeah uh,
1: but saw a lot of sign no animals no animals
0: so that night and and one of the things that i told you in prep was is we're going to have our own tents you know um Hunting Alaska guys sometimes try to uh, try to skimp on gear, not on the quality of gear necessarily, but they skimp on it because you got to weigh in. So for me to have a tent and you to have a tent is weight that's taken up our 100 pounds each, our 100-pound allowance each. But the reason you have two tents is one can fail, and if they don't fail, a, a, a tiny little two-man tent is really a one-man tent, a four-man tent, a two-man tent. So by the time you pack a four-man tent, you can have two small tents. That way, if one breaks, you got another one. Also, you got some damn privacy. And if you get stuck in the weather like we did that night, we spent the whole next day in our tents. We did over uh, almost <laughs> thirty hours in driving rain and wind.
1: And I think one of the things we that was new to mention, for you, you know, the the first day. You know, like I said, the first day when we flew in, it, it was beautiful. The, the weather was gorgeous. Um, the next day, a front started to move in, uh, and it sat there for the next next ten days, next eleven days. As yeah, as we'll we'll yeah. get into more detail about. We um, basically for the n- for the next but on a seven day hunt, we had to hunt breaks in the weather for yes, the for the last five um, days. That that. Third day, uh, I woke up. My, well, my tent woke me up, slapping me in the face. Uh, <laughs> you know, the wind was the wind was pushing, pushing the wall of my tent down flat on me, and and, and the rain. Uh, it sounded like North bacon Lane. sizzling, <laughs>
0: sizzling in a pan. Is the rain hitting my tent? My my memory is bacon sizzling in a pan. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> so. Uh, you have to be prepared for those. Take a good book, uh, if you'd like to read. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the weather broke and we d- and I mean, as soon as it broke, we put our gear on and we headed right back up the mountain, the P- P- patrol base, I was going to call it PB Caribou, patrol base Caribou. And, uh, that
1: day we decided to split up. We did. Um, and actually you're the first one to go on your little walkabout, um, And I don't know how how far you had hiked out. Uh, um, but, you know, by the time we got to the – I was already wet. You know, it had we rained were so much. <laughs> we were uh, So I You had to
0: wear your wet, your wet weather gear to climb through the alders, even on the grizzly bear trail, to keep the rain that was still on the bushes and the grass off of you. But you, because it's wet weather gear, you're sweating underneath. So by the time we got to the top of the mountain – you're wet no matter what, man.
1: <laughs> it was so <laughs> we were uh, so I, I had to take off my boots, let my my socks and feet dry out. And you're like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna head off to uh, I'm gonna head off over in this direction. Um, yeah, I went north up the to, mountain about to see what I can about half of what I can see, and uh, wasn't long after that. Uh oh ambulance rolling through rolling <laughs> through
0: our podcast we have an ambulance rolling through uh, mr
1: black bear oh yeah decided was, he wanted to uh investigate was, yeah uh, what his where his next meal was coming from
0: yeah we split up and i went up that mountain um to see over the crest what was to the north of us we hadn't seen that far yet and we were both taking off our boots and kind of putting our feet inside our backpack or inside a emergency bivy kind of sleeping bag to dry our feet out or whatever and I just had one of those sixth sense moments and turned around and damn if there wasn't a black bear like 100 yards away and bearing right down on me with the wind to his advantage and of course i'm kind of laying down on the side of a mountain glass and so he couldn't see me or he could damn sure smell me and uh so i got up on my knees and spun around and you know chambered around in my rifle and i'm thinking okay that's a good black bear He's probably every bit of 400 pounds. And I thought, if I shoot him, this is our fourth day. I'm going to have to spend this whole day I want to hunt caribou, cutting him up, packing him down the mountain. And we have brought contractor trash bags. Should we kill a caribou early, we could bone out all the meat or, or, or quarter, up, butcher up the animal, put it in a contractor trash bag, waterproof the opening, and leave it in that cold water lake. It would be like leaving it in your refrigerator. Right. So I thought long and hard about shooting him because he just kept coming. And I'm thinking, man, I've killed a pile of black bears in my life. I don't need to waste a caribou day. I've never killed a caribou. But he kept coming. <laughs> it got to be a security <laughs> issue, man. So finally I stood up and started walking right out him, at which point he decided, whoa, I don't know what this – he's probably never seen a human being. He, you know, he probably decided, yeah, I don't know what this is. So he finally turned around and took off up the mountain. I watched him leave. But <clears> – <throat> That was the first game animal we saw, and we both had black bear tags in in addition to caribou tags, which you can use in Alaska. You can downgrade a tag. So um, if you buy a grizzly bear tag, which is the biggest, most expensive tag in Alaska, you can shoot anything smaller than a grizzly bear, but you have to put your grizzly bear tag on it. And so a lot of outfitters, when they take people on, on a moose hunt, will tell them to buy a grizzly bear tag because if they don't see any moose... And they see a grizzly bear because they're being outfitted. It's legal for them to go ahead and take the take the bear, um, and it works. You know, we could have put our black bear tag on a wolverine had we seen one. And we heard from other guys in the valley later that later that trip that there were some wolverine in the valley. We didn't see any, um, but yeah, I decided not to shoot that bear, and uh, that was
1: pretty much the the end of that day. Well, it Was back down the uh, back down the mountain we went. Uh, and what happened that night? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> thirty mile an hour wind, and couldn't even sleep through that wind. Could not, and uh, it was really pretty much like that for the remainder of our trip. But um, I had already had it set in my mind that uh, we were going to encounter some inclement weather. Uh, you know you are in the mountains in Alaska Uh, um, so still wasn't going to uh, let that damper my spirits no
0: man we had we had coffee we had food we had bourbon we would wait for their breaks in the weather and we would scramble outside of our tents and heat up some (laughs) some hot water for our mountain house and share a bourbon and then the wind would come back and we'd run back in our tents
1: a uh, good thing about the wind—it did keep the uh, uh, black flies or oh or yeah, that's a whatever they are. Or that's a great point. kept them off, off of us. You know where we didn't have to um, burn the the um thermocells. Thermocells, yes. Yeah.
0: So we use the thermocells for what? Since we weren't burning them uh,
1: for bugs, they made great boot dryers. <laughs> you uh, take
0: the you take the little pad out, and since it's basically a heating device. You put the thermocell in your boot, turn your boot upside down, and it warms up your boot and drives your boot out. It worked perfect. It did. <laughs> it was awesome. But we suffered through another night of the wind just pushing our tents around, and, you know, and, of course, we're both soldiers. There's no quitting us. We're, we're just get up next morning and do it again, and the next morning, the weather broke. It was, was, as,
1: it was as pretty as the first day. Well, it was a very nice day, a uh, very nice morning, so... Uh, we're sitting there at camp, uh, enjoying a nice hot cup of coffee. Uh, we hear the plane. Uh, our outfitter he's bringing in a, a second group of of hunters.
0: Yeah, um, they were going to hunt the east side of Tolstoy Lake. We had the entire west side.
1: Um, and you can hear it off in the distance, and all of a sudden you you jump up and like, "There's a wolf! There's a wolf!" <laughs> and and i'm looking and you were um, you were changing your uh socks or something uh, i was like i don't see a wolf and he's like
2: it's right there it's right there
1: and so you grab your gun and and you start running over to the um and, and our camp was on his shelf so you, you ran over to the edge of of the shelf and you're like grab your gun get over here get over here and I, was, and I still did not see a wolf um <laughs> So all of a sudden you shot, uh, and you jump up, and you're like, "I think I got this wolf. I think I got him." It's like, okay, so I'm trying to get my boots tied, and I grab my gun, uh, and we pack down, uh, back down the the hill toward where you had shot. And you're like, "I know I hit it. I know I hit it," uh, and we started going around this little clump of of willow brush. And I almost step right on it, and <laughs> I look at you, and, and it's like, "Hey, Mike!" And, and I'm pointing down at the ground, and and kind of smiling. You're like, "What the hell are you pointing at?" <laughs> and you come over there, and, and there lies uh, your wolf, a white wolf. Uh, mm. had a, had a It was a young, it was a younger male. You know, it was a lone wolf.
0: Yeah, uh, probably not over a hundred pounds, but I mean, if it was a domestic dog, you'd be like, "Damn, that's a big dog." You know, for people that don't know, if you've never seen a full grown Alaskan wolf, it's probably three times the size of a German shepherd. This was the size of a, of a big shepherd. And uh, yeah, man, I, what I wanted was, I wanted you to back me up because I was so excited to see this wolf. I could <laughs> feel my heart pounding out of my chest. And I'm like, all right, here's my plan was. And I thought there was going to be a second for me to hatch this plan. I thought I was going to be able to say, all right, here's what I'm going to do, Shell. I saw it first, so it's my shot. If As soon as I shoot, you watch. If I miss, you shoot. Because the wolf's not going to hang around. As soon as he hears a gunshot, he's gone. And this thing started on the north side of Tolstoy Lake. And it starts coming down the west bank. And it could smell our camp. The wind is in the wrong direction. It's blowing from us to the wolf. And that is not normal that a wolf will come at you like that. And I'm thinking, this ain't right. Well, he comes past 700 yards. 500 yards. I lose him at 500 yards because there's a line of brush. He comes through that brush, and he's still coming right at our camp at, like, 400 yards. Then I lose him again at, like, 300 yards in another line of brush. Then he pops out at, like, 225 yards, and I'm like, all right, too late. Doom. <laughs> and I, I'm telling you, man, I was excited when you found him because I was a little tense. <laughs> that, you know, to go, if I would have wounded a wolf, you know, even a small wolf's 100 pounds, you know, ah. Uh, you know, so. Yeah, we found him, got him back up to camp, and uh, and while we're, uh, while we're taking a picture of me and the wolf, the outfitter's offloading these guys on the whole other side of the valley, and uh, we're looking at him with bonos, and he's looking at us with bonos, and he can see me and you working on this wolf, and uh, so as he was leaving, you know, they, they kind of twist the plane and wave at you with the wings of the plane, you know, he right. obviously seen us with that wolf, and. And, uh, so that was a pretty
1: damn cool morning. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it had to be exciting for the next group of guys coming in, you know, uh, as soon as they land, they, they see the, the other party that had been there for three days, four days. And I think it was uh, five, f- five days. That was our fifth day. Uh, they had, a, you know, we had an animal down, so, you know, they had to lift their spirits, uh. Right off the bat, you know, it's kind of like us seeing the caribou the The first first day.
0: (laughs) That's funny. I hadn't thought of it that way. We saw
1: caribou the first day, and they saw us kill a wolf the first day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we went back up that day, and uh, we decided to strike out in a totally different direction uh, to a new patrol base we called Patrol Base
1: Wolf. Patrol Base Wolf. All Um, the way in the south end of the valley. And. I had, the day before, I had actually walked down toward that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 it was scenic, <laughs> I should <laughs> say, because uh, you got to see a completely different valley. Um, you got to see the drainage of Tolstoy uh, Lake, too. You did. The way it um, and it. You know, and... To see that end of the lake and how it, you know, trickle down to a stream and run through the valley, you know, it it was almost outdoor life. uh, Oh man! Quality. Some of the pictures we got amazing. There has to be an animal somewhere. Was that the day you saw the the moose? The day I saw moose on the other side. Yeah. Um, Huge animals, you know. This first first moose I had, had ever seen in the wild. Uh, huge animals. Um, so, you know. So we are seeing animals, not what we're we're looking for. Obviously, you know, we're hunting caribou, but you know that it really keeps you from getting dejected. They're like, okay. I've, I've seen bear. I've seen wolf. I've seen moose, caribou. They they have to be around here somewhere. Um, so from patro- patrol base wolf, you know we could probably see distances of
0: that was miles. way. Oh my god, that was miles. way. That was way up elevation wise. That was probably another six eight hundred feet vertical elevation. And I'm no kidding. We could see, it was a beautiful bluebird day. We could see 10 miles probably.
1: Easily, easily. Um, and just c- did not see any animals. No. Uh. <laughs> Thank God we
0: saw a moose and killed a killed a, uh, a wolf that day because for the next 11 hours, we didn't see jack shit. <laughs> oh, man.
1: Um, it didn't look that far. You know, until we started packing across oh. that <laughs> that tundra, we
0: had so much enthusiasm that morning after the mo- after the wolf, and we decided to strike out to Patrol Base Wolf, and then going home. Oh my
1: god! I forgot what uh, what my GPS had us walking that day. It, it was over five miles, uh, including gain and loss of I don't know for two, yes. th-
0: two three thousand feet of altitude and um, uh, you know in the in the lesson learned for anyone is is if you're hiking back even when you have GPS waypoints and a marked trail do not lose altitude on your hike back until you're sure you found your trail because we just you know we're military we're bad men you know we're I mean <laughs> on the face of the earth we're pretty bad dudes. We thought we know right where that trailhead is. We're gonna go straight to the trailhead. You know, we've only gotta go three thousand yards. We know where it's at. Well, gravity sucks your ass down and we start going downhill. We did. And then we had to climb back up the mountain to find our trail <laughs> through the alders, and I'm thinking, this is just this ain't right, man. We that, were so
1: tired we almost didn't eat dinner. That that forty five pound pack Quickly becomes 80, 90, oh, gosh. 100 pounds. Mm. Well, we. <coughs> the suck part of this is
0: the next two days we got out to hunt, but the weather was so bad. I mean, so bad. We went ahead and climbed the mountain, but we set through rainstorm after rainstorm. Talk about the rainbows, man.
1: Oh, and. I tell my wife this. You know, you you always hear about uh, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Well, we actually saw the end of several rainbows. And I'm telling you, there's no pot of gold sitting there uh, waiting for you to come fill your pockets. Uh, And they were so vivid, so colorful. Uh, You know, we, we... Took several pictures of just just rainbows, uh, but I don't know. It, it was nothing to see four or five rainbows uh, at one time, you know, and just crossing each other and, and ending in the fields in front of us, and and
0: we we were we were way high up on near where I'd seen that bear, where I had the bear bear encounter, like on the third morning or something like that. And we could see all the way, gosh, we couldn't see as much as we could see from Patrol Base Wolf, but we could probably easily see 4,000 yards. And storms were blowing through every half an hour. And I mean storms. We were laying down, sucked into our wet weather gear with our packs against the wind. And these storms would blow over the mountaintop. And then we'd get 45 minutes of glass and light and sunshine and rainbows. And then an hour later,
1: boom, another storm all day long. And it was like that for the next two or three days. Oh, man. Four days, five days.
0: So we're on the the day we're supposed to get out. We ain't seen a caribou. All we've killed is a freaking wolf. And I passed on a bear. And we're sitting in camp. It's about an hour before dinner, and praise the Lord, we get an hour and a half of beautiful evening light with no wind and no bugs, and we're sitting out in our little chairs, eating a real meal, having a nice bourbon, almost out of bourbon, and I said, holy shit, there's a bear.
1: (laughs) What'd you do? Uh, As soon as you said that, I I mean, I I dropped everything. I jumped up, uh, grabbed my weapon, grabbed my rifle, and you're like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going after this bear. You're like, hey, 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 let's plan this out a little bit. You know, this is Alaska, by the way. You can't just grab a rifle and start running up the mountain. Uh, You pointed it out to me, and and I don't know, it it was like 1,200 yards. It was a ways along, yeah, um, to the north of us. Uh, you're like, do you have, do you have your light. It's like, no, I'm gonna need my my headlamp, uh, yeah. gun, extra bullets, blah blah blah. Yeah. I'm like so <laughs> I just had my gun. I, I mean, I, I had it holds three rounds. That's all. The my didn't rifle. grab your pistol. Didn't grab my pistol. Didn't I, grab my GPS. I did encourage you to grab a headlamp, which I, you did, I, and I had my range finder. And you're like, okay, if you get up there and you get a shot, signal me, and I'll come and help you. So I, I take off, and, and I'm not even thinking, you know, you know, uh, climbing through ditches and through willow brush and over dead falls. And, and i worked my way within 300 yards of, of this black bear. It's a big black bear. It was a trophy. It, it was as I got closer it got bigger and bigger yeah, 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 so as soon as i as soon as i hit 300 i was like yeah i can hit this bear from here
0: well you were losing light too and it, it was, was the, it dark. was the end of the day <laughs> and i'm and i'm watching you <laughs> climb i can see you popping in and out and i can see him and i can see you getting closer and i'm and i'm rooting for you man I'm, <laughs> and i told you i'd stay in camp and spot for you and you could look back and see me and i could tell you you know which way to go whatever but
1: it, and I quickly lost sight of you, you know, uh, just climbing through, through the willow brush and through the ditches, uh, and you know, a ditch in Alaska is probably twenty foot deep, so you're down the ditch and oh, up man. the other side. So, you know, it 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 took me a good hour to get within the shooting. You had about
0: you had about eight hundred vertical feet to gain. And over a thousand yards to gain and you had an hour of daylight to do it.
1: I did. And and I made it. You I, did. I was gonna make it, you know, this this is our last day. <laughs> I was proud you of it. I was I was gonna I was gonna walk out of there with something. Uh and so I I get within a comfortable shooting distance. Uh and everybody has to figure out what their comfortable shooting distance is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you know, going to the range with Larry and, and practicing at five hundred yards helps. Uh you know, you just can't go to a hundred yard range and shoot all day and, and then have a comfortable shooting distance of three, four hundred, five hundred yards. It just just doesn't work. Uh so I touch the rifle off. I I get into position where, you know, the bears it, it ranged at 309 yards and I get set up and, and crosshairs I put the crosshairs right on it and, and I touch it off and I swear I hit this bear uh you know you told it me its s- it sat a, down at the shot. A mist, you know it this had been raining so uh, you know I, I saw a spray of mist come off this bear I, thought right. I just hammered this bear yeah. and it dropped back on its on his butt butt, yeah um so i I chambered another round touched her off and the bear rolled over backwards
0: so it rolled Uh, down the mountain at your second shot it did
1: uh i thought the bear is laying there now lesson learned from from this is i didn't have my gps so i couldn't set a Mm. waypoint where my my Shooting position was,
0: and then also take a compass bearing or an azimuth to the direction to and the distance direction, yes. of the bear.
1: Uh, so uh, that 300-yard um, straight line sight, you know there there are several ditches and and clumps of willow. So what you're calling a
0: ditch for the listener? Let me explain. These are not ditches. These are huge fissures in the side of a mountain. That are covered in scree or or sliding rock, and and shells being nice, calling them ditches. These are pretty dangerous rock-filled chutes coming off the side of a mountain. They are,
1: and you know, like I said, <coughs> you know, they're probably 20, 20 feet deep. So you're going down in and back up. So without those without those waypoints set, I couldn't uh, you know couldn't shoot back asthma to where I was shooting from, and, and then get myself back on track so i, I kind of lost i knew the area it was in um, and i looked and looked and looked and it got dark and, and i'm down to one round in my my rifle
0: one round no survival gear only a headlamp only a headlamp and your pocket knife <laughs> no <laughs> and i'm no, sitting there thinking no gps
1: i'm sitting there and i'm like hey dumbass you're looking for a wounded black bear <laughs> in willow brush, and you can't see 10 feet in front of you.
0: You're right.
1: And how's w- time you start backing out of here and, and <laughs> think about coming in here tomorrow?
0: And, and I'm sitting at camp <laughs> in the pitch black, and you did not give the signal for me to come up there.
1: I did not. And
0: I, my plan was after you fire the rifle, you give me the signal, and then I would bring your pack and mine, and we would go up there and cut him up. And, you know, put them in meat bags and pack out as much as we could. Then go up the next day before the plane's supposed to come get us and get the rest of it. No problem, right? I don't get the signal. You shot twice, but I don't get the signal. (laughs) So I'm sitting at camp, and it's getting darker and darker and darker. And, dude, I'm telling you, I ain't been that apprehensive. I'm not going to use the word scared, but I ain't been that apprehensive since combat. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and, and i didn't even think about it you know this is like uh a fault of mine is is i have a rifle in my hands i'm I'm not scared of anything oh you i know? wasn't scared for myself <laughs> you know i i, I, I wasn't scared of uh. of uh, being there you know of course uh what worried me was hey it's dark and can't see a black bear i can't see to begin with you know i'm uh, but now i'm looking for a black bear in the dark you step on a wolverine in the dark it's your ass much uh, less a black bear or a grizzly bear so <laughs> i didn't want to go back the way i came so i thought walk down to the lake walk the edge of of the lake back to blow our camp and then just
0: there's a forward. huge there's a huge beaver lodge. Straight down the mountain to the lake from our camp, so I thought it was brilliant when you explained your strategy to me at midnight <laughs> <laughs> when you left it at at five thirty in the afternoon and you shot at six thirty i didn't see you for three hours, and I'm sitting in camp I, I don't know what to do man I'm like, how do I explain to Alicia? That I took Shell to Alaska and he comes back in a coffin. You know, I'm like, how, I, how do I explain to your your brand new wife? I mean, this is not going to work for me. And I'm I'm not freaking, but I'm not happy. And then all of a sudden, 1,700 yards away, I see a glimmer of a headlamp. And dude, I'm like, t- I'm not gonna lie to you. I was praying. I was like, thank you, God. Oh my God. And it still took you another hour to walk down the shore. Well. Uh
1: and of course, down where we were fishing, you know, you could walk the lakeshore very easy. Um, you know, it was open. Uh, that north end of the lake, it was all willow brush. So I was, I was walking through the willow brush and stepping in the lake, you know, and, and um, I stepped into a hole that was about knee deep to me and my boots filled with water. So that... That pissed me off, uh, uh. but yes, I, I, you kept flashing me, so I, I knew which direction to go. Every uh, so every
0: time I saw your headlamp, <laughs> I would flash mine mine back to you two or three times, so that you had a beacon. You know, I was I was the lighthouse <laughs> calling you home. Then <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you made it home, and we had a a really good uh, little quick celebration because we were sure you killed this bear. You were home safe, or at least back to our little ledge we were living on on the side of a mountain. And uh, and the weather was great. And we thought, we're going to get up in the morning, go get this bear. Plane's going to come in about lunch. Life is good. And then overnight, a storm blew in. And That, that was the worst in. storm of the whole <laughs> damn trip.
1: <laughs> and it... it I mean, it just the skies just opened up and it rained on us, and, um, and I think my eyes popped open as, as soon as there was light. Um, you heard me rustling around. And you're like, "Hey, what do you want to do?" I was like, man, I've already got my boots on. I'm getting ready to go look for this bear. I know, I know this bear is dead. I I know he's laying at the end of one of these draws. Uh, yeah, so we grabbed bird our he was feeding on blueberries. I, I said, I know that bear's there. Mm-hmm. Um, we grabbed our packs. We emptied our packs because we we're going to carry this bear out one
0: trip. We were coming down the mountain with 150 pound packs. We were going to do this. The wind is blowing 20, gusting 40, and I mean, the rain is hitting your face like if you've ever drove a motorcycle, and I know you have, and you get caught out without a full helmet in a rainstorm. And you're trying to get home, and the rain hits your face. To say the rain's an exfoliant is a, is an understatement. <laughs> it's ripping your skin off. So there were times that wind was hitting us. The rain was, and I'm we're going up that mountain with a purpose, man. We're gonna
1: find this bear, and we did. And and it took us a good hour and a half to to get to where I thought this bear was. We thought this bear was. I mean you you had a general idea of where it was based off off of how the scree was was coming down off the mountain You're, you know, telling me, Hey, it's right off this point, right off this point and we looked and we crawled through brush on hands and knees for three four hours. and uh, if there was a blood trail, you
0: know, it washed, by then it, it washed it, it, it
1: washed away. Uh, no sign of a bear anywhere, and um, so even a four hundred pound bear, black bear. Now,
0: as a grizzly is different because quite often they're light brown or blonde, and you'll you'll see the fur. But a black bear laying in one of these deep alder thickets or something, dear God, I don't know how you. We 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 basically quit looking for your bear when I was like, we're we need we're going to be hypothermic, man. We're soaked. It's freezing, and.
1: We're pretty dejected, and I was uh you know time that uh, you know you think that that you kill something and you you have to leave an animal um I was very upset about about the whole di- idea of leaving uh and not continuing the search for the bear, but um you know other than what I saw in my scope i I don't know that. Uh that I hit the bear in um, any sign of it you know i as in blood sign uh, was gone, as we said uh, but we did exhaust the, the search uh, yeah well we uh, I mean to say
0: that we gave it a college try is an underestimated way to say that we we busted our ass, climbing. An absolute gale force winds in a storm trying to find that bear. and um, Yeah, so uh, it sucked. Uh, We had to get back to camp and get our wet clothes off and get in our individual tents and and dry out for health reasons pretty much. Um, But our spirits were up because they were supposed to come get us the next day. (laughs) <laughs> so we got up the next morning, and it was there was a, a beautiful opening. The rain stopped, and you could almost see the sun. And the wind wasn't too bad. And we called on the sat phone, and we're like, "Hey, there's a window here, man. We need you to come pick us up." And
1: what happened? <laughs> well, uh, by window, he he means a crack in the window. Um, you know, there was a breaking weather. Uh, n- Honestly, in the back of my mind, i, I something told me we weren't getting out that day. Um, you know, the front was still setting. You know, the front moved in. We ended up calling the mountain Mordor uh, because it, it looked like something out of Lord of the Rings, you know, because this this front had set on top of this mountain and was just as black as could be. Uh, but we broke camp and we packed everything down to the lake. It wasn't long after uh, you could hear the 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 sounds of the plane coming. You're like, yes, you know he's he's actually going to do it. The wind was blowing it, and it it started to rain again. The wind was blowing, and um, you look down the valley, and you, you could see this plane coming up the valley, and and. And, and that plane was just teetering back and forth. It was rocking. <laughs> it, it was. He was like, oh, that doesn't look good. And he, he flew over and he made one more pass around. And uh, that second pass, he just went back over the mountain. Uh, pretty soon, you know, the sounds of the engine just faded away. And you're like, we looked at each other like, well, I guess we're going back up the mountain. So
0: we, we didn't even complain, man. We were soldiers. We just watched it leave, looked at each other, and started grabbing gear and hauling it back up the mountain. And I've had people say, well, why didn't you just sleep on the side of the lake where they could pick you up? First off, there was no place to sleep. It was a, um the only place that was flat was a beat down wolf bear trail all the way around this lake. And for those of you who don't know, bear and wolf love to eat beaver. So they had a trail that basically, you know, circumnavigated Tolstoy Lake, and they were just going from beaver hut to beaver hut trying to catch one out. So you you would be sleeping on a a wolf-bear highway, but there was just nothing but knobby rock the size of truck tires down there. So we had no choice but to hike our camp 300 yards straight back up the mountain on that little ledge and set camp up again and do it all again the next day
1: (laughs) we did uh. and we
0: called the next day we found out what what about our neighbors on the next day when we called in to see if they were coming to get us
1: Well, but it wasn't that we we actually didn't do anything the next day (coughs) it it was actually two days later yeah uh that we had a break in weather now we're eleven days into a seven-day hunt. Well, this was like nine days into a seven-day hunt that you're talking about, but yeah. Uh,
0: well, we called on the cell phone, and would they tell us about our neighbors across the lake? <laughs>
1: uh, I was talking talking with Mike, the the owner of the outfit outfitting company, uh, and he said as soon as he can get in, he's coming to pick up both parties because uh, the party that he had dropped off. Uh, five days into our hunt, had been calling them since day two, wanting them to come pick them up. They quit. They they quit. Uh, you know, and their their first legal day of hunting, we we there's four four people in that party, four men in that party. We saw four packing up the side of the mountain the, the first day. And the second day, they didn't get out at all third day we saw two of them pack up side of the mountain. Well uh, we could see, you know, through glass we could see their camp fairly easy and like third or fourth day, you know, when storms had destroyed their tents. Um,
0: we had no we had no inclination to quit none. until the until the eighth morning when we were supposed to get taken out seven day hunt eighth morning they extract you they come fly in and take you home we never even thought about we didn't even call them on the sat phone no matter how bad the weather did not your tent one of your tent poles broke we fixed it no big deal and these guys quit on the third morning of a seven day hunt (laughs) i was shocked (laughs) when we called
1: in and found that out they did not go back out um and, and Steven said, and, "You know, as soon as the weather breaks, you know he'll get somebody in there, get somebody in there to pick us up, because he had to pick up both parties." Um. So, yeah, you know, okay. Um, we were on our last last meal on the yeah. ninth day. We brought
0: <laughs> nine. We brought nine <laughs> days of food for a seven-day hunt, which is all our weight limit allowed us. We were out of coffee. By the tenth morning, I we're think that was
1: the most disappointing. Yeah, that was bad. We we're, were out of coffee and out of bourbon, <laughs> and
0: coffee doesn't weigh that much, man. I could have <laughs> left a couple pairs of socks and got us make the coffee. You know, that's another lesson learned. Um, we're out of coffee, out of bourbon, and on the on the ninth morning, we still had a meal left each, but by the tenth morning,
1: we're out of food. We're out of food, all we had was uh, an apple cobbler that <laughs> I had.
0: We had an apple <laughs> cobbler. That you brought
1: <laughs> as a
0: celebration <laughs> dessert after we killed a caribou. It and was. We didn't kill a caribou, so all we have was an apple cobbler. And you said, hey, man, let's go catch some grayling. <laughs> and, uh, you know, being resourceful guys, we started eating blueberries. So we had blueberries, and uh, and you made a pretty damn good recipe for uh, grayling. I mean, fresh grayling that you boil really quick in, in really hot water. And then drain it, and you had brought some uh, Cajun spice seasoning yes. stuff. So we we caught this grayling. we cut it up into chunks, and we threw it in the jet bowl, and where uh, I use an MSR reactor, same thing as a jet bowl, and uh, we f- basically flash boil it, and then drain it, let it sit a second, and then sprinkle it with this Cajun salt. You man, that shit was good. <laughs> it was good,
1: and of course and we were damn hungry. It was white. <laughs> Uh, it, it was very white meat, very flaky. Uh, so caught, we flayed two grayling out and, and sat there and ate that and uh, some blueberries. And then back up the mountain we went and sat there for the, the evening just kind of BSing. And uh, wake up the next day, beautiful weather, beautiful Good morning. There Beautiful Breaking morning. clouds. Sun was out. We call them. They're like, we're coming. I, I call. Yes, I call. It's like, yep, we're coming today. We're coming today. I was like, well, there's breaking weather. And I, for, ladies and know,
0: gentlemen, this is the tenth morning of a seven day hunt.
1: There's breaking weather. Uh, you know, you really need to come. And this was this was around nine o'clock in the morning. Yep. Yeah. So. We break down camp or Steve says break everything down. We're we're coming We're we're definitely coming. So we broke everything down and, and we packed down this lake. Back packed down to the the Beaver Dam. About noon. They still aren't there. They still aren't there. And I call again, it's like, Hey they're they're still breaking the weather, you know, the weather's nice. Uh, you know, and Tota's, you know uh, they told us, well, you know, it's overcast and stuff here in McGrath. We really can't get up. Like,
0: okay, and that's a hundred miles ish away. Yeah. So I'm not gonna argue with them. They can't get out.
1: So. Um, I, and I don't know what time it was after that. It was about fifteen hundred, three o'clock. I, I called again. I was like, clouds are starting to roll in. I was like, if you're all gonna come, you better get here. Yep, we're coming. We're c- or you had called that time because he, Peggy he had said, yeah, they're on their way. Yeah, I, I, I called. I, my patience was already there. You're, you're getting a little thin. <laughs> Positive vibes <laughs> were getting a little thin. <laughs> so you had called because, you know, they had already told me two or three times that, yep, yeah, we're coming today, we're coming today. And well, the weather was starting to change. And they sure Peggy assured you that, that they were coming. Um uh, and it was about 4 o'clock. You heard the plane down at the end of the valley. You heard it coming. God, I, it got, I got my hopes up, man. I got my and hopes up. it, it was coming. <laughs> and then it was going. <laughs> and it just faded away.
0: And we never even saw it that time. <laughs> we did not. Uh, yeah. I mean, it obviously made it, you know, within, I don't know, a 1,000 yards of us. and And later we found out from that. That wasn't the, the main pilot. That was the other pilot that works for him. The winds that they had to get over the mountain to get down into the valley we were hunting, the winds at the top were so bad. But we're sitting there on the lakeshore with our camp again. And if they don't pick us up, we got to hike this son of a bitch all the way back up to the mountain to that ledge and set camp up again. And, man, this is the third time we've done this. <laughs> it so was. we're supposed to get out on the eighth morning no dice ninth morning no dice tenth morning no dice this is the 10th afternoon so and we gr- i didn't even speak i didn't even say a word to you i'm just like i looked at you i'm like i just grabbed grabbed my backpack and a bag and started walking back
1: up the mountain you did <laughs> you did and that's like <clears throat> hold on hold on i hear something i hear something that pretty soon the rumble of the plane you could hear it coming up the valley and just like just like uh, a few days before watched the plane come up it zeroed around it turned above us and went back out <laughs> over the mountains and I don't want to repeat what you said but uh, you weren't happy no we neither <laughs> one of us were, were happy uh, it was about ten minutes later. It's like I think I hear plane again. I think I hear him.
0: You, you lit up a cigar. I did. And went, I, and went and sat like fifty yards away from me, it, and were very brooding. And I've never, I've never seen you angry. You know, we've only been friends for a year, and I've never seen you angry. <laughs> and you know, you're, <laughs> you lit up a cigar and said. You want one of these? And I said, no. And I was praying on the side of the lake that that, that, that bird would come back. Because not like it's a life or death situation. But we're cold. We're wet. We haven't slept well. We're having to fish for our meals. And for the third meal in a row, eating grayling and blueberries is getting old. <laughs> we're out of coffee. We're out of bourbon. And every time you hear that plane comes in, it's anticlimactic when it leaves. The fucking plane leaves. And so you're sitting over there smoking a cigar and... It's like I think we gotta go back up this mountain and set up camp again.
1: Well, I said for those who don't smoke cigars, cigars generally take about forty five minutes, a a good cigar. I think I I sucked this thing down in about fifteen minutes. I was so angry. I wasn't coming <laughs> nowhere near you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, you I was right at the dub of it and when he he made his second pass. Yeah. And and come in and uh, we were we were, before we even touched down on the water, we were on the end of the beaver dam, just, you know, excited. <laughs> yes, hooting and hollering. Uh, of course, he comes in and he he hits hits the lake and um, he goes down the lake a little and turns and comes back to so us. So
0: yeah, the, the float plane has landed on the lake and now he's motoring down the lake like a boat. Go ahead.
1: He was, and he pulls up to the Beaver Dam, and he opens the door and come to find out he wasn't even there to pick us up. He was there to pick up the quitters. (laughs) He he was there to pick up the other guys. The quitters. (laughs) Mike is like, uh. He threw me a line.
0: (laughs) He threw me a line and said, are you guys, are you guys, are you the guys that quit and want to get pulled out? And and I said, no, but I'm (laughs) not letting go of this rope. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> you told him, he's, You told him, we've been here 11 <laughs> days. Those guys have been here five. They can stay here a little longer. We're getting on this plane. Yeah, he wasn't.
0: Uh, and, and you know what? He was very agreeable when I said that.
1: Randy. His yeah, his name, name Randy. was Randy. And he Randy. got
0: on the radio and called back and said, I'm not picking up the quitters. I'm picking up these guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, come find out, uh, Steve, the owner, was actually on his way to pick us up. Uh, and he had told Randy, "Yeah, go ahead and grab those guys." And but they didn't; they weren't ready. They but didn't have their camp they broke they down. They didn't have their camp yeah. broken down or anything. Uh, you no, know, since soon, soon as Steve landed, you know, we were we were still loading the plane when uh, the second plane came in, and uh, Steve landed and pulled up, and there was just one guy. He come walking down to the lake. Uh, yeah, they they hadn't even they hadn't even. breakdown, can't. And and that's not just
0: dangerous. That's, that's, excuse me, that's not just irresponsible for anybody that's never hunted Alaska. That's dangerous. Because here's what's happening. Those pilots are flying in a window. Sometimes that window might only be an hour and a half or two hours of good weather where they have a ceiling and visibility. They don't have instruments in these planes. They have to fly visual. And there's no, you know, assistance from air traffic control. I mean, it's just complete wilderness. And you know, when that plane lands, you need to load it and get out. If that plane lands and you're still going to be an hour and a half packing your gear and getting your gear down to the lakeshore and then another half an hour loading the plane, the weather can change so dramatically in the two hours in Alaska that you've now made the pilot maybe have to stay overnight with his plane on the lakeshore. And if their 30-mile-an-hour winds come up and he's got his plane trying to, you know, anchor a plane on the lakeshore... You've got a seriously dangerous situation. And that actually happened to me on my grizzly bear hunt where the pilot came in to pick somebody up and couldn't leave, had to stay the night. So those guys not only quit on the third morning of a seven-day hunt, they wanted they were finally going to get picked up on the fifth or sixth day of, of a seven-day hunt. which So they didn't complete their hunt, and they quit hunting on the third day like you said but the lazy bastards weren't even ready to get picked up when somebody showed up to get them. And here we are getting out on the 11th day, whatever. And, uh, yeah, that was just in my mind. I'm just, I was, I would like to think every member of my tribe, every hunter out there is a responsible, strong, hardworking person. But the fact of the matter is, is is there's some guys out there are just quarters. And that's what these, that's what these guys were. Um, so we're we're back to the booming metropolis of McGrath. <laughs> Where's the? We drop our gear in the hotel. What's the first
1: thing we did? One of the first things we did was uh, go straight to the bar. Went straight to the bar. Grabbed <laughs> beer and a bourbon. Grabbed beer and a bourbon. <laughs> uh, I forgot the young man's name uh, that worked the bar. Um. It, his name was Hunter. Yes, it was. He Hunter was, a, was, he was, was an Eskimo. Buffalo Bills fan.
0: He was an Eskimo. His name's Hunter. He was a bartender. Uh,
1: you know, it kind of surprised me that Hunter had no clue who we were when we walked back in there. You know, we'd sit there one night all night with him, just BSing. And <laughs> before we, know, left. before yeah. we left. Before we left.
0: We'd only been gone 11 days he didn't recognize us. <laughs>
1: had no clue who we were uh but of course then uh uh we went back over to Hotel McGrath uh and ate dinner and then um went back to our room We'd, we were staying different side of town and um uh
0: And w- th- basically, Jenny, the lady that owns the hotel operation, she also has an apartment building. And the bad weather had backed up the hunters so much that our regular normal hotel room, she had to give us an apartment. So we got a one-bedroom apartment um, for, the t- for the two nights we had to stay To we could catch a flight out because we had to reschedule our flight out. We missed our normal flight out. And, uh, and uh, you know, we're in a jubilant mood. You know we're back in town we've had a real meal we've had a beer or two, and we're leaving the apartment building and we're just joking out loud about <laughs> about uh the quitters and what
1: happened <laughs> <laughs> so this was this was next morning, and then we we're joking about uh, the people that had had uh quit on their hunt and we're heading back over to the hotel to eat breakfast that morning. Um, and we're sitting at at our table, and, and every table in, in the dining area was, was full. And, you know, hunters getting ready to go out, hunters coming back off of hunts. And we were, we were listening to to the stories um, where they were successful, unsuccessful, you know, what they, what they saw, what they didn't see, and there was, there was a group of, of gentlemen, four gentlemen, sitting at a table next to us. And we were listening to their story, and, and they were just talking about all the time they put in on their hunt, and the the miles they walked, and, you know, the signs they saw, the signs of, of game animals they saw, and and. What they didn't see and how, they were bragging. Yeah, how hard they had hunted and and <laughs> so you, uh to listeners, Mike, asked them. I said
0: I, I said, <laughs> So where were you guys hunting? And they said, Oh, we were hunting we were hunting caribou out of Tolstoy Lake and right then and there we knew that they weren't just quitters, they were liars. Yes. The sons of bitches were telling everybody <laughs> in the dining room how hard they hunted and how bad the weather was. They left their camp three times, and only four of them left camp once. The other two times, it was just two of the four, and they didn't even crest the mountain the third time. They got up to they the top, not. looked over, and went right back to they camp. Did. They did. <laughs> and here they are telling everybody in town how tough they are. And then one of them says to me, where would you guys hunt? And I said, oh, we were the guys on the other side of the lake at Tolstoy Lake. And right then, every single one of them's face lost color because they knew. They knew that we had been there five days when they flew in, and that their sixth morning when they finally got rescued was our eleventh morning, and they knew we knew that they were full of shit and they were telling the story. <laughs> they weren't telling the truth; <laughs> they were telling the story. And I said, "Yeah, we were the guys across the across the valley from you that killed a wolf and uh, were there eleven days. You know, we didn't quit." And they said, "Oh, okay." And that was it. We didn't so say they, another word. They, they <laughs> didn't talk to
1: us for us a bit. So. <clears throat> uh, the night that we flew back into McGrath was actually the only night we were there. Our, our plane was coming. Air Alaska Air Transit was coming the next day to pick us up, take us back to Anchorage. So we ate breakfast, and and Jenny allowed gave us the keys to her truck to go get our gear mm-hmm. to come back to to weigh in and and uh, wait for our plane. So we pull, <laughs> we, we drive to the other end of. Of McGrath, where the the, the apartment building was, um, and you pull into the parking lot and get out. And first thing I was like, it's like, "Man, those Eastern boys said they talked a lot of shit. They were, <laughs> were Northeasterners, <laughs> like from
0: New York and Massachusetts and stuff."
1: And you got this blank expression on your face. You're like, "Ho, ho, ho!" They're right there. They were. <laughs> and they were standing. In the window, they had the windows to their room open, <laughs> and, and they were on the parking lot side of this place, and yeah. they were looking out the window. As soon as I was like, "Man, those guys talked a lot of tough shit." Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> funny
0: because you know we weren't really being malicious; we were just being sarcastic. But they heard you, they and I was like, <laughs> "Dude, dude, dude, we've already hurt their feelings. We hurt their feelings in the dining room. Let's not hurt their feelings anymore." <laughs> So, yeah, we, we got our stuff, and we flew back, and and everything actually went well from, from that point on. You um, know, we got back um, all the way to Kentucky, really, without issue. Um, what are your thoughts about doing something like that again, man? The whole adventure. What do you
1: think? It was definitely an eye-opener, you know, in, you know my first DIY <laughs> And what I would, and I would do it again tomorrow. Uh, nice. Honestly. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I had a wonderful time. You know, it would have been nice to to have uh, seen more caribou. Mm-hmm. You know, caribou have been on my bucket list, you know, since I was about 14. They're still <laughs> on mine, man. Um, They're under so, my skin. Uh, and Through some lessons learned. Yeah, you know, I, I think I would ask more questions next time. Uh, you know, and one of the things we talked about is, was, you know, this is a resident herd. You know, well, how big is how big is the resident herd? How many uh, mature bulls are in this herd? You know, that, that's that's one of the things we did ask. Um, and caribou are migratory animals. Uh, even though it is a resident herd, they're still moving. Uh, whether it's around the mountain range, you know, they're they're it. it they're not whitetail. They're not going to. The, yeah, s- their home ranges. They're, they're not going to be different. Yeah, uh, in a g- generalized location. Um, I, you know, looking back, I think uh, the eight or nine we saw the first day. Um, it, honestly, I think we were about. Three days, four days too late, but yep. those those eight or nine were probably the end of a big the herd. resident herd that had moved through a few days before I agree um but I would do it again, uh but I would definitely uh, ask more questions next time, yeah um
0: and for and for regular guys like us, this was a significant expenditure of time, energy, and money, so it's not something. It's not something we can do every year, so we're gonna have to give it two, three years, and and use our lessons learned to 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 plan and book and pay for a little bit better hunt next time. Um, in addition to you know, would you do it again? I'm happy to hear that you would. What um what would you tell other than you know? <coughs> A lighter rifle in a caliber bigger than two seventy, you know, uh, preferably a thirty caliber because there's also bears on the mountain, um, and I mean brown bears. Um, what other gear or what other lessons learned gear-wise would you uh, would you tell the listeners to, to, think,
1: I, ab- I to think about? Uh, don't skip on, skimp on gear. Uh, like I said, if, if it doesn't say Gore-Tex, as far as boots, ring gear, I wouldn't take it. Uh, light, uh, you know, uh, as far as uh, Under Armour cold gear is is a great item to take. It's light, uh, it drives fast, and and it keeps you warm. It is actually, and there, are, you know, Nike has it, and there, there are many other brands out there of you athletic know, you, cold gear yeah, yeah you don't you, you know it doesn't have to be underarm cold gear but something along those those lines um uh you know you can't go to walmart buy your gear and cheap gear will last which i found out on a couple items cheap gear lasts about two days and uh the willows and the olive brush and 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 Everything else will, it'll just chew it up and, and spit it out. So, yeah, um, you get what
0: you pay for. And actually, that was a big component we learned to why those guys quit. They literally, instead of doing all the pre-combat checks and inspections that we did, we found out later that those guys flew into Alaska a day early, and went to the Cabela's in Anchorage, and basically bought all brand new gear. They hadn't tested it. They hadn't used it. They weren't sure it would work and that is a recipe for failure and each one of those guys basically paid for a hunt that never happened and um you know the old adage you get what you pay for really really means something when you're going someplace that the weather in the mountains could kill you
1: oh definitely definitely um i would tell people don't be afraid to ask questions uh that's a good it it is a diy uh you know and it's not a guided hunt but um, you know, Alaska's what, 93, 94% of Alaska's public ground. Uh, you can, I mean, you can, you can just hunt just about anywhere. That's a great point. The the, the thing is, is getting in there. You, you're going to have to pay someone to, to fly you into areas that aren't easily accessible by road. Uh, so... You know, the, the the pressure of from other hunters is lower and non-existent. Um, so it, it does cost money. So you're hiring these outfitters to fly you in there. Don't be afraid to ask them questions. Uh, you're still paying them good money uh, to to get you into an area that that has game. Um yeah, so and you're client. I mean, they're, you're their client. Their job is to make you successful. Exactly. You know, you're, you're paying these people $5,000 to fly you in to public ground mm-hmm. is, is basically what you're doing. Uh, so don't be afraid to ask them questions. Uh, yeah, that's and, a good point. And uh, if they're not answering your questions, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe look maybe at maybe another outfitter. Maybe look at another outfitter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if they make it sound like that you're you're being a burden by asking these questions, well, again. Maybe find another outfitter. Maybe find another outfitter. Yeah. You uh, know, I,
0: I'd hunted grizzly bears with this outfitter before and done really well. Um, and so I really thought highly of them. And I talked to a couple other friends of mine that are guides in Alaska, and they thought very highly of them as an air service, not necessarily as guides. And so, um, you know, I don't feel like we got burned not by any stretch of the imagination. That's an adventure I'll never forget. And the pictures we got of just, you know, the adventure were outstanding. Um, but your points are well made. Yeah. Your points are very well made. Uh, is, there, uh, is there anything that that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about?
1: You know, and I think that one thing, and you and I have talked about it, you know, uh, several times since we've been back. You know, I, I have friends, you know, they sit and watch Meat Eater. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. And, and and I'm not bashing Steve Renella because I love his show and I, I love everything he does. Yeah. But, you know, there's so many people that, that watch this and say, hey, I want to do that. You know, I want to <laughs> go on a hunt. <laughs> I want... Well, first understand, that he has sponsors that are paying him to, to hunt. Sure. It's 10, bu- 11 places a year. It's a business for him. Uh, sure. So... DIYs are not cheap. No. You know, you're, you're not hunting whitetail in Kentucky. You're not hunting whitetail in Missouri. They are not cheap yeah. uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Any, any stretch of the imagination. Um, so, you know, first thing people need to understand is uh, if, if you're going to do one, you need to commit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it does take a lot of time. It uh, takes a lot of resources. Um, so don't think you're going to fly to Alaska to hunt moose or caribou on DIY and and spend a thousand dollars. You're, you're just not going to do it. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. Um, so that's you know, that's what I tried to tell my friends that, hey, let's, let's, let's go out to Colorado and hunt elk or let's go out west and hunt elk. Eh, okay. Uh. They they don't There's, understand the commitment. Yeah. Here's here's what's going to cost us. Oh well, I, I can't spend that much. Okay, how much were you expecting to spend?
0: Right. Uh, so for blue collar guys like us, it's it's something you got to save up for a little bit. But honestly. The memories that you make are worth... It was great. It was great worth time. It, you know? I, I loved it, every bit of it. So I've got guys that have wanted to go for years and never go, and they're very regretful. They're always like, man, I wish I'd gone, and they always have so much regret, and I don't know what the hell they spend their money on. Um, you know, you talk about Rennell and the Meat Eater crew. It's a business for them, but, you know, they're an inspirational crew, and their camaraderie inspires a lot of people to do great things. But, you know... Those guys didn't get to where they were at overnight. You know, they're in their mid-40s, and they've been doing this their whole life. You and I were in the service for 30 years first, and now we're starting to do <laughs> Now we're starting to do adventure hunts. Here's after, what I want to do. Right, yeah, after. So, you know, had we started off from college or, 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 you know, five or ten years after college, you know, hunting and podcasting and writing about it and all this jazz, you know, I look up to those guys. Even though, you know, I'm an I'm a almost 50-year-old colonel. They're younger than me, all of them. But I look up to them for what they're doing in the hunting space. And and if you watch them and listen to them, there's a lot to be learned. But people that watch them and listen to them, they think that, oh, I can just go out and do that. No. Those guys are skilled. It ain't easy. And for, you know, two very, I'm, I'm going to call us high-ranking. You're a sergeant Major and I'm a full colonel. Pretty high-ranking, accomplished Army guys. This was not easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't yeah it wasn't easy man uh, you know and uh as i said you know it takes time and time you know again you especially if, you know if you're going to alaska on on a seven day hunt you better have some vacation time built up because well, we we, yes. we we found out that seven days turned in you know, from the time that we left Louisville, Kentucky to the time we touched back down was 14 days
0: 14 days on a 7 day hunt because you got uh, 2 days to get out there a 7 day hunt turned into 11 and 2 days to get home, so we got back in the evening of what would have been the 14th day, I think and uh, man um, you know, looking back on it now, I can look back on it finally, but when the planes were circling and not landing in that rain, and that cold, I was pretty pissed. (laughs) So, um, man, I appreciate you. Um, I know we're going to do it again. I don't know what we're going to do again, but I know we're going to do it again. It might be probably be a DIY elk hunt. I've had a lot more success with that in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, I I don't know that after this, uh, there'll be any more mentoring or, or me taking you on something you haven't done. I mean, a DIY drop camp remote Alaska hunt is pretty much the last level of learning for a big game hunter. I mean, anything else you're going to do is going to be easier than what we just did. So uh, there won't be any more learning. Um, I don't know that for this podcast, the hunting mentor, that, uh, you know, unless you and I take a new person, that i uh, will not have an opportunity to have you on as a guest again, so I appreciate it thank you very very much and uh, enjoyed the time i appreciate you as a hunting partner even more um so basically this this podcast is the outdoor mentor podcast Um, and my goal is to take as many people as i can um, on their first hunting fishing backpacking um, outdoor outing to try to bring them into the tribe of people that truly appreciate the outdoors um, but I'm also um, open to, uh, like I did with my good friend, Shell, who's on the on this show, if there's some adventure that you want to do that you've never done before that I can help you do, uh, and, and at this point, you just listen to a two-hour discussion on um, a remote dropped Alaska hunt, you know, I, I'm also willing to help do that. So if you're an accomplished hunter that's never hunted in the Rocky Mountains or you're accomplished hunter that's looking for a partner and never hunted alaska you name it um reach out to me um you can reach out to me uh, at my website www.theslowhunter.com that's www.theslowhunter.com and you can click the contact link there um i'd like to thank our sponsor our one and only sponsor uh, louisville toppers uh if you go over to Uh, Louisville toppers on Preston Highway here in Louisville Um, talked to Walter, he runs the place Uh, he's been working on my vehicles for the better part of a decade and I've always been happy with his work and um, he didn't reach out to sponsor me it was just a natural thing Um, he's so good at what he does and uh, the motto over there is that's what we do and so it's quality work, that's what we do Louisville toppers, talk to Walter Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, This uh, podcast, The Outdoor Mentor, is part of the Slow Hunt LLC Network. And I'll remind everybody, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Thanks.